Well, church, if you'd grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jude. You can start from the back and go two books in and you'll be there. I was actually supposed to preach this sermon on March 15th, 2020. Uh, Pastor Greg and I had been talking about this series in the book of Jude, and the section today is about false teachers. And so he had asked me if I would teach this sermon and also tie in the element of music and how that relates to false teaching. And so I was excited. I was preparing for the sermon all week. It was either that Thursday or that Friday of that week, COVID exploded. (laughs) There was fear everywhere. We were (laughs) trying to figure out what to do. We, uh, as a church, we were thinking, oh, we we don't feel like we can meet right now. Uh, And so we we figured out we're going to do, you know, an online video in Greg's house. (laughs) And in the midst of this, I'm preparing this sermon on false teachers set to preach Sunday. And so I remember texting our elder group being like, uh, hey guys, I got this sermon on false teachers. Do we want to switch things up this week? <laughs> and they were like, uh, yeah, probably a good idea. <laughs> so in the Lord's providence, we are back in Jude today. Um, we are back in this series today, and um, I'm excited to get to, to walk through this message. As we start, I want to want to read the word for us um, and then pray for us in our time in the word. Uh, But just a quick note, we're going to be looking at Jude verses 8 through 16 today. This passage is filled with descriptive words. It's filled with a spiritual event. It's filled with three Old Testament events. It's filled with poetic language, prophecy, and more descriptive words. It's packed, and it's difficult to understand. We're going to work through it today. We're going, to, we're going to see what God's Word is saying through it, but I want to preface that as we read it. If you get a little lost, just, just stick with us through this, um, and we're going to see what God's Word has to say to us today. So let me read the verses for us, and then we'll pray um, again for our time in the Word. Starting in verse 8, this is the Word of God. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones 
to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. God, as we endeavor to uh, jump into your word this morning, to see what you are trying to tell us about false teachers, I ask for every help, Lord, to understand your word, to apply your word, to see where your word uh, speaks into our lives. God, we ask for understanding. But God, I ask that even in the midst of all this teaching of false teachers, your glory as the one, the God of all truth would shine through. Help us now in this hour, Lord. Help us to discern. Help us to know the way of truth. We pray this in your name. Amen. So how does music relate to false teaching? Why would we need to bring music into this discussion? What's the big deal about it? Well, let me tell you about a man named Arius. Arius was a leader in the church in the 3rd and the 4th century. So we're talking the year late 200s, early 300s. Very early on in the church. And he's been associated with something called the Arian heresy. Essentially, he believed that Jesus was the first created being. He didn't believe that Jesus was co-eternal, that he always existed, but rather that God the Father created him at a point in time, and he's, he's better than the rest of creation, but he's a created being. And so he's not equal with God. He distorted the person of God in the Trinity. In the Christian faith, there are closed-hand issues and there are open-hand issues. There are things that we can disagree on and yet still affirm others as a Christian. Those are open-hand. But we also have to draw the line. There are things that are closed-hand that we must say, if you do not believe this, we cannot call you a Christian. This is one of those issues. Typically, these things are about the Trinity, which is the essence of who God is. They often relate to people's belief about the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus, that he was fully God, fully man. They often relate to the authority of the word of God. And they often relate to the gospel or justification by faith alone. These big things. If you disagree with one of these, you, you aren't a Christian. We have to draw the line in the sand. We can't say that everyone who believes anything is a Christian. This is the clearest line that we have of what we might call capital H, heresy. And if we get the person of God wrong, we get everything else wrong. And so Arius got the person of God wrong. And so 
Early on in the church, there was this council of church leaders that was called the Council of Nicaea. And out of this council came the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest creeds of the Christian faith. And the purpose was to clarify what we believe is true about Christianity and what is not. Basically, it was to say, these teachings of Arius are heresy. But the teachings of Arius continued to grow. They continued to be really popular. They continued to have this widespread influence. And the question we ask is, well, why? If this council determined that it was heresy, there's probably many factors. But one of the factors is that Arius was a songwriter. That he wrote catchy songs. One thing I read was that these songs were so catchy, they'd be sung by sailors and millers and travelers as they were on their way. And the heresy would be in these songs. The songs were a vehicle to spread his teaching, and people were willing to look past it because they connected with the songs. Music is powerful. It draws on our emotions in a unique and a special way. Had the honor of uh, getting to be part of a funeral yesterday for Sandra Byers, and, and she had picked out before she passed the song she wanted at her funeral because they meant so much to her. Often we connect with these hymns. They mean so much to us because they are a gift from God to express our heart to him in a beautiful way. And yet... We have to be careful because those same songs that can enable beautiful worship to God can also be a vehicle for false, false teaching. Still today, there is false teaching spread through music. There are three music groups that really like dominate the, the worship music industry today. Those three are Bethel, Elevation, and Hillsong. They're on the top charts. And by mentioning their names, I'm not saying that everyone in those movements is not a Christian or that all the songs are, are bad. No, there are rich songs. But I think we need to be careful with much of this music. And honestly, we don't have time today to dive into what each of them believes. We have a, a text to get into. But I do want to talk about one specifically. And I want to give you the specifics so you see the nature of why this is such a serious matter. Bill Johnson is the pastor of Bethel Church. And he writes this in a book called When Heaven Invades Earth. He says, Jesus performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in right relationship to God, not as God. If he performed miracles because he was God, then they would be unattainable for us. But if he did them as a man, I'm responsible to pursue his lifestyle. In that same book, he later writes, and these are direct quotes, Jesus laid aside his divinity as he sought to fulfill the assignment given to him by the Father. This is false teaching about the person of Jesus. This is an essential. 
I've seen videos where they, say, where they, they talk about and they say, no, 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 we, we, we believe that God is fully man. Uh, you know, we believe Jesus is fully God, fully man. He always has been. But then they still affirm these statements. They don't change them. They don't talk about how they're wrong. Basically, they belittle the concern and deny that the concern is wrong. But what they've done is they've elevated a culture of miracles, so much so that it started to distort the person of Jesus Christ, one of the essentials. That's why we've chosen not to sing Bethel songs at our church. We, we don't want to propel people or approve of something that we believe is an error. And the reality is this. I, I, I want to mention specifics because I think it's helpful. I think it, it gives us, rather than just saying a name, it gives us something to say, oh, okay, I can understand why that's wrong. But the reality is this. I don't have the time and energy. Pastor Greg, the other pastors and elders don't have the time and energy. You don't have the time and energy to look into every pastor and preacher out there and, and to dig through uh, what they're teaching. Furthermore, because of our present time, especially in the midst of this pandemic, a preacher can be in our ears in a second without us even realizing because the next YouTube video just played automatically and we couldn't get to it before it stopped. Uh, we're so exposed to so much preaching and teaching. And so how are we to navigate this? Furthermore, if we look at Jude verse 4, if you look down in your Bible, it says these people have crept in unnoticed. Uh, Peter describes it that they secretly brought in destructive heresies. And the point I want to bring out is this, that these things are sometimes difficult to notice, difficult to see. It's not super obvious all the time. And so what, what are we supposed to do then? I, I, we live in a time right now where it is difficult to trust the news channels. It's difficult to trust any information that we're receiving. And so, furthermore, why are we talking about this where I'm we're, we're, we're now talking about the church and not trusting what we hear in the church? What are we to do? And this is where I think the word of God is our great aid. In our passage today, Jude is going to give us characteristics, uh, red flags, so to speak, that we might see in preachers and teachers that might cue us that we need to beware, that we need to take heed, that we need to be cautious. The word of God does not leave us helpless. In fact, that's why it's important for us to, to, to uh, preach these books like Jude, because we need this message today more than ever. We, we need to be able to discern what is true because the truth matters. The truth is of the utmost importance. And when we lose the truth, we lose it all. And so today we're going to look at this study in Jude to see these characteristics that we might be helped to see what are the red flags, what are the things that when we see we need to be careful, we need to beware. 
Jude is not going to give us a nice, neat list. He's, he's going to give us a character study. He's going to paint a picture of who these false teachers are. And as we read through, there's a lot in this passage. And so I want to give you the three things up front, and then I want to show you where we find them in the Word. The first thing is that a false teacher rejects the authority of God. A false teacher rejects the authority of God. Second, a false teacher is given over to sensuality. Sensuality. Again, we'll discuss these more later. And third, a false teacher is given over to greed. These three really closely relate with the three vices that we typically see when people talk about the world, uh, money, sex, and power. They relate very closely. Rejecting God's authority is issue of pride and power. Sensuality is it's broader. We'll get to it, but it's broader. But sex is part of that, and uh, greed relates well directly to money. And so let's look at our text today. Uh, let's see where we find these things, because the last thing I want to do is is talk about faithful preaching and yet not show you in the Word where we are finding these specific things. And so if you look with me, we're going to look at verse 8 to start our study. Jude says, yet in like manner, these people also. So this is a transition verse. In verses 5 through 7, Jude had given three more Old Testament examples of people who did not believe in God and thus experienced God's judgment. Now he's saying the people today, let's talk about them. Uh, They are similar in a like manner, but let's talk about the people today. What are they like? So he's transitioning us to the teachers of this time. He says, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So right there we see our first characteristic of a false teacher. They reject authority. They reject the authority of God. The phrase blaspheme the glorious ones is a confusing one. Verses 9 and 10 help us to see what he means. Verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses... He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is the only time in scripture when we learn of this event, this spiritual event. We only get one verse on it in the Bible. And so I think that the author, and namely the the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit, is not wanting us to know every detail about what's going on. But rather, the author is using this to make a point. And so apparently, when Moses died, the devil wanted his body. And Moses was a servant of the Lord. And so the archangel Michael contends, fights against the devil for this matter. And we would think that the angel Michael would have every right to rebuke Satan. But it's interesting. He says he did not presume to pronounce a judgment on him, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you. What he did was he did not act on his own authority. He deferred, he submitted to the authority of God. And so these false teachers, as we see in verse 10, they blaspheme, they they speak evil against, they vilify 
all that they don't understand, angels, demons, all these things on their own authority rather than the authority of God. It does make me think of something that is common in prayer today. And I don't think people are ill-intentioned when they say this. I think that it's just simply a matter of we've heard other people say it. But I'll hear people say in prayer today, I rebuke you, Satan. And I think that this scripture should make us think about that. If the archangel, the chief angel, didn't presume to rebuke Satan, but deferred to the authority of the Lord, I think that should make us consider that language in our prayer. Um, So we see that these false teachers are speaking on their own authority. Let's continue. Verse 11, woe to them. He is now going to give us three Old Testament examples. (laughs) This scripture alone could be a sermon. (laughs) And so we're going to breeze through this, but but I want to explain these things. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. The third of these, Korah's rebellion, is found in Numbers chapter 16, essentially a tribe in Israel, uh, a a group of people within the tribe of Levi, Korah's people, basically rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron. They were jealous. They grew in pride. They didn't like that Moses and Aaron had been given this position by God of authority over Israel. And God poured his judgment on them. And so the lesson, again here, is that Korah's uh, uh, people did not submit to God's authority, but acted in their own. Let me give you one more um, place in this text where I think we see this. Let's look at verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And I read it that way because I, several times he repeats this word ungodly. This is a prophecy against these teachers. They're described as ungodly. And we might think of the word ungodly and just think like, oh yeah, that just describes somebody who's not godly, who's not a Christian, who, does, who doesn't want to walk with the Lord, but the word ungodly here has the meaning of irreverence. It has, it has the meaning of not submitting, not coming to the Lord in the fear of the Lord, but rather of pride. And so I want, I want to show you that th- we're, we're seeing these things in the text. Now, to just say that they reject God's authority— that takes explanation. What does that look like today? How, how might we be able to see that? What would be a red flag? We're going to get to that, but I want to show you where the other two are first. So the second one is sensuality. And sensuality, Pastor Greg defined really well for us at the start of this series. And if you weren't here at the start of the series, this would have been February and March of 2020, so it's a long time ago. Uh, you can look at our YouTube page, Simple and Pure Truth, and we have a playlist with those previous sermons on it. So if you'd like to recap. But sensuality, uh, most often in the Bible, it refers to sexual sin. But we can't pigeonhole it to that because sensuality is much more broadly being given over to the senses, being given over to our experiences, being given over to our instincts. 
And we see this several places. Verse 8, if we go back to that, it says that these people rely on their dreams. They rely on their dreams and experiences rather than relying on the word of God. They defile the flesh. That's clearly sensuality. If we look down at uh, uh, verse 10, they blaspheme all they don't understand like unreasoning animals understanding things instinctively based on how they feel, based on their experience rather than the word of God. Verse 11, we come back to these three Old Testament stories. The way of Cain. What is that? What is the way of Cain? Well, most people are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. This takes place in Genesis chapter 4. Basically, these were sons of Adam and Eve, some of the first people, and they both brought offerings to the Lord. The Lord had regard for Abel's offering. He did not have regard for Cain's offering. Abel brought his offering in faith. Cain did not. Cain is given over to sensuality. He's given over not to sexual sin, but to rage. He's given over to anger, to his, how he feels, his senses, his instincts. And then he proceeds to murder his brother because of this. He's given over to his senses. Let me show you this in one last place in verse 16. And I know we're jumping around, but I want to be clear where we're finding these things in the text. Verse 16, these are grumblers and malcontents following their own sinful desires. They follow their sinful desires. And, and lastly, verse 4, uh, if we look back up there, we see that their chief offense is that they pervert God's grace into sensuality. Essentially, they use God's grace as a license to sin. And so we see sensuality. Lastly, let me show you greed. Greed is the last mark of a false teacher that we see here. Let's go back to verse 11, to these three Old Testament examples. The middle one says, they abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now, this event is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Balaam was a prophet. It's a really neat story. Um, I mean, I would encourage you to go and read all of these three examples from the Old Testament this week. But it's a really... Uh, neat story of God's power. But essentially, Balaam, the prophet, uh, betrays the Lord for money. <laughs> a, a, a nation other than Israel basically hires him to come pronounce curses. And God tells him not to go, but they bring more and more money. It, it even says it here, the, the, uh, for the sake of gain, financial gain. And lastly, let's look at verse 16. The end of the verse says they're loudmouth boasters. Again, there's pride uh, that we see, but the end of that says showing favoritism to gain advantage. So they show favoritism to people in their churches and their congregations to gain financial advantage. Actually, let me let me. Let's look at verse 12 now. Let's, let's, let's finish uh, going through the text. I want to I lastly touch on this, and then we'll talk about it. These are the hidden reefs at your love feasts, 
as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Again, we could do a whole sermon just on these two verses. But the point is that what they speak and how they live are different. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And so Jude's using this poetic language. It's, it's really quite neat to display this, but he's painting for us the character of a false teacher. So there's lots to understand, uh, lots that we're probably not familiar with in this passage, but don't get lost in all those details. Let's bring it back. What has Jude shown us? Jude has shown us three characteristics, three things, three red flags that we might see in preachers and teachers and pastors that would cue us we need to be careful. And these three things are a rejection of God's authority, being given over to sensuality, and being given over to greed. But I want to talk practically. I want to, this sermon to not just be um, uh, warning you, but not equipping you. Let's talk practically. How might we see these things in preachers today? Uh, how might these things flesh themselves out? Honestly, we can't judge the motive of even preachers and teachers that we think could be false teachers. Only God can see the heart. But it is our responsibility to look at their actions and to look at the truth that they declare or, or the doctrine that they declare and to be careful of it. And so let's first talk about rejecting God's authority. It, it's not like you see preachers in the pulpit going, God, I reject your authority. That just doesn't happen. So what, what does this look like? Well, I think that the place that we see and experience God's authority clearest is in God's word. This is where he has spoken to us this is where we submit to his word and to his authority. And so a preacher who rejects God's authority is really a preacher who rejects the word of God. But again, you don't hear preachers saying that they reject the word of God. In fact, I've hardly listened to anyone, even people that I would consider uh, not a, a biblical teacher, I've never heard, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone not use the Bible in a sermon. The point is not that they leave this behind and never use a scripture or never use a verse, but how do they use the Bible? How do they go about it? Remember, crept in unnoticed, secretly brought in destructive heresies. It's, it's not always obvious. We, we need to be careful. How do preachers use the word? What is true Christian preaching? When Paul writes to young Timothy, the pastor, he gives him like the weightiest charge that you could ever give someone. In the presence of God who judged the living and the dead, he gives him this charge, preach the word. But what does that mean? Does that mean use the Bible in a sermon? Because it seems like everybody uses the Bible in a sermon. What does it mean to preach the word? 
I think many have described faithful teaching in this way, and I think it's helpful. The message of the text, the message, the content of the scripture verses that we are looking at are the message and the content of the sermon. What is in the word is what is preached. The message of the sermon is the message of the word. It's very easy. You'll see many teachers today use a phrase from the Bible as a springboard to jump into whatever they would like to talk about. Even biblical things, but have nothing relating to the true nature of the scripture that's being read. This is a letter written to people. It's written to churches specifically addressing false teachers. There's a context to it. There's something happening in it. There's an intention that the author has. Many preachers will use a phrase and springboard into something completely different. They're not preaching the word. They're not sharing what's from the Bible. A true preacher is one who acts as a messenger. I've, I've, I've thought about this as I've been given just, I, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities I've been given to preach. And I've thought about this, that for me, what I can walk away confident is, is not the response. It's not how people take something. It's I have a message to deliver. Did I deliver it faithfully? It doesn't matter how people respond. I am a messenger. I, I, I have been commissioned for this moment to deliver God's message. Am I faithful to it? And even if everyone hates the sermon and people are falling asleep in the back, I mean, preaching should be, it, it should be, you know, we want to give our best to it. It shouldn't just be boring. But my, my goal is not the response. My goal is to deliver the message faithfully and to ask God to do with it what he will. John Calvin is a um, preacher from church history. He lived in the 1500s. And uh, uh, one author said of him that he was a tethered preacher. What a compliment. He was tethered to the word of God. And what he said in a prayer to God, he said, God, what I have learned from your mouth, I will distribute faithfully to your church. And he's not talking about hearing a word from the Lord. No, he's talking about the word that God has delivered. What I have learned from your mouth, I will faithfully distribute to your church. We're getting ready to start in the book of Acts. John Calvin started preaching the book of Acts in August of 1549. He finished it five years later in March of 1554. <laughs> Talk about delivering the message. We won't take that long, don't worry. <laughs> but it's important that the preacher delivers the word. I want to give an example of this. I was listening to a preacher. I specifically listened to one in preparation for this sermon. I listened to the whole sermon, and I wanted to see how does he use the Bible? Because often it can be so hard to pick up on these things. Well, he was preaching from the book of Acts, and he was uh, preaching about this vision that Peter had gotten. Uh, if you're familiar with Acts chapter 10 and 11, basically, uh, God is telling Peter that the gospel is not just for the Jews, 
but also for the Gentiles. And he does it through giving him this, this vision where he lays down this, this uh, sheet with these animals on it. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. These animals that were previously forbidden for the Jews. And basically he's saying that, that, that old, those Old Testament uh, Jewish laws, uh, Christ has fulfilled them. And so now the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for all the earth. That's, that's the content. That's the, 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 the um, what this text is about. But the preacher read Acts 11.5 and did this. He said, I, this is Acts 11.5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, this is Peter, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. So he's recounting this vision that he received that we just talked about. We talked about just what the point of the text was. Well, the preacher said, and it came, he read the last line, and it came down to me. And he said, when I read that, God spoke to me. I'm going to bring it to you. And he proceeded to go on about how God is going to bring it to us, and we don't have to come to him. And he said, all these things the world chases, they're chasing after, God's going to bring it to you. He, he completely took a phrase and springboarded off of it. And he even, uh, to his credit, he talked about biblical things. He talked about how God has given us his righteousness. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing to preach about, but it's not the message of this passage. It, he used it as a springboard to talk about whatever he wanted to. And so I give that specific example to see how careful we need to, to, to look at how people use God's word. All right, let's move on to the second one, sensuality. What might this look like? Well, first, a note that I want to give on the beauty, I think, of the local church. One of the things that's interesting when we think about these preachers and teachers is that it's not just their beliefs, but it's also their lives. It's... Anytime false teachers are talked about, it's not just error in what they believe, it's also how they live. And I think it's a beautiful thing to think about the local church, that we are a local church body, and that God has placed us in the lives of each other. I trust, trust Greg completely. Uh, There's several reasons. One is because he stands up and he preaches this word. He is tethered to this. He, he is, is focused on this being the message he declares. But another reason is I see his life. I see that, that is he perfect? No, no pastor or preacher is perfect. But I see that he fights against his sin, that he wants to walk in the holiness of God, that, that he wants to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord and that is submitted to the Lord's authority. And I would only see that by being in the same local church. I think God designed it that way. So that we are not only to trust our pastors by what they say, but also how they live. And I think that's a really neat part. Again, no, no person is perfect. Everyone has errors. Everyone has faults. Um, but is that person submitting to God's authority? Is that person fighting sensuality and greed? Are, are they wanting to walk uh, and live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? That's what we're looking for. Uh, 
things we might ask when we think of sensuality. Is this person driven by their experiences? Are they driven by their instincts? Or are they driven by God's word? Lastly, let's talk about greed. Um, I don't know how many of you in this room are on Instagram. Uh, I'm guessing most of you are on Facebook. But there is this uh, account that came up um, in recent years, and it started as a joke. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. And basically what the guy did is he would uh, snap a picture of a celebrity preacher, and he would then put a picture side by side with it of the preacher's shoes with a price tag. (laughs) And what was crazy is like some of these shoes are like thousands of dollars. Then he started going to the clothes and stuff that they wear. And it started as a joke. But it does kind of say something. The Bible is clear that, that uh, I believe it's in the book of James, that we are to provide for pastors, especially the teaching pastor. And I think that's really wise. You don't want a pastor to be so concerned, uh, especially a teaching pastor, so concerned with their finances so distracted by that, that they're distracted from the work of the word. And so it's good to provide for them. But we should also ask questions like, do they have an overabundance of wealth? Do they have a, a mansion when they only have a couple people in their family? Do they, do they uh, uh, you know, uh, even what they wear? They're wearing new clothes every week that are very expensive. Again, I'm not saying that nice shoes means you're given over to greed. But what I am saying is that if Jude has taken lengths to show us that greed can be a sign or a characteristic of false teachers, we should look out for that. We should look out for things that might be red flags, that might be warning signs. And so hopefully, discussing these things gives a little more um, a, a little more thought to what we, we might see them as in the world or what we might see in a, in a pastor that we might be listening to online or, or uh, uh, watching a YouTube video from. But what are we to do with all this? Where is this to lead us all? I was thinking about this this week and I, I was thinking, I don't want to just give these characteristics and then let us walk out. Why? Why is Jude giving us these? Where is this to lead us? And I think one of the things that it must lead us to is Christ. It it, it must lead us to the fact that no preacher or pastor is perfect. And we cannot look to any preacher or pastor as God. We must look to Christ, the true teacher, the one that we can trust. I think about this so much with, with it feels like there's such a distrust of, of everything from the news to, to politicians, everything that we're, we're taking in. It feels like, what can we trust? And in the midst of this age, to have a book that we hold as inerrant, infallible, true through and through is such a bedrock. It's such a, it's such a place of comfort to say that I can lean on this time and time again and know that this is the truth. Amen. This is the word of Christ. Christ, the true teacher who did not have error and did not have fault. We must look to him. We must look to him. And this, this 
message should, should equip us, it should help us in thinking about the, the influences that we have through preaching online and, and even pastors in our own town, or even if you left this church and went to a new church and thinking about the pastor that was preaching to you. But with what attitude? It must be an attitude of humility. If this, if this leads to us going, well, we got the best, we got the best doctrine. We know it's right, and, and those other. If it leads to an attitude of being snarky and, and just making fun of others, and 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 not uh, a, a pride and lifting ourselves above them for the sake of other things, that that is the wrong attitude. We are all saved by the grace of Christ, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and and. Uh, we, we must walk in humility. We, we must pray for those that we see as being in error. We must ask that the Lord would bring them to a right understanding. And we must pray for our own hearts that we're not led in error. We must pray for our own lives that we are not given over to error. Even later in uh, the, the book of Jude, in verse 23, he actually says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Our attitude is not to be forget them. It's to be, oh, Lord, please, please save them from, a knowledge, from error in, in truth. Please, that, that they might come back to a knowledge of the truth of your word. And we know that this is not, this is not our truth. It's God's truth. The only confidence we have is in holding to it and not to ourselves. I want to finish just with an illustration. I think we're in a day where our society wants us to lay aside truth for the sake of harmony and peace and unity. But unity without truth is no true unity at all. And this society influences us. It influences us in the church. But truth matters. It matters of the utmost importance. Imagine that we're, we're talking and um, we're having a conversation after church. And uh, I'm talking to you and all of a sudden I start talking to you about my wife, uh, Andy. And um, I, I go on, I start mentioning her and then I start to kind of praise her. I, I'm telling you how beautiful she is. And, and I'm talking about her. I go, oh, I, I just love her long red hair. Oh, it's so beautiful. If anyone knows Andy, you know that she does not have red hair. And so you'd look at me like, what? Well, what if I didn't just get an attribute wrong of hers? What if I got the essence of who she was wrong? What if I went on to describe her character and her personality and what she's like, her heart? But for anyone who truly knows her, you'd say, that's not like her at all. That's not actually like her heart. That's not actually like her soul. I would be using her name, but essentially praising another woman altogether. In a like manner, we can sing to Jesus all day, but if we've lost the truth about who he is, we're not singing to him at all. We're not singing to the one true living God. 
And how horrible of a thing, just to be clear, I've never done this. Uh, how horrible of a thing, though, to speak of my wife, to call her by name, but to miss the truth of who she is, to not be really talking about her at all, but to really be talking about someone else completely. And so how serious it is, how important it is that we have these books like Jude to bring us back to the truth about who God is, to, to make us reflect on teachers who are bringing us the truth because truth is the foundation of a right relationship with God. Truth is the foundation of our worship to God. It's a foundation of the life given to God. If we lose truth, we lose it all. We, we are, are, are speaking and praying and singing to a God that is not the God of the Bible. And so this matters immensely. We need a focus on truth in the church today. And I thank the Lord for this book that, that helps us in our discernment of this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we can bank our lives on. And we thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, help us to worship you rightly. Help us to have a knowledge and an understanding of you that is true to who you are. Help us, Lord, in every way to discern, to see the red flags out there of pastors who might be teaching false things. Help us, Lord, to cling to what is good to think on what is good. And help us to do it, Lord, all for your glory, for the sake of right worship, for the sake of right relationship, for the sake of knowing you and loving you, truly and as you are. We thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, church, for being with us today. Um, we always, at the end of our service, have our elders and prayer partners that will come up to the front. And so if you would like prayer about any matter in your life, uh, you can come forward. They're, they're going to be making their way up now um, and, and ask for prayer. And they would be delighted and love to pray for you. But thank you for being with us today, and I hope that you have a blessed Sunday.